0: anti-Semitism surging around the country. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin established a commission to combat anti-Semitism and make recommendations on what steps the Commonwealth could take to reduce the number of anti-Semitic incidents in the state.
1: Joining us to discuss the commission's report and recommendations, former United States Deputy Attorney General and Commission Chairman Jeffrey Rosen.
0: Don't push pause, you're listening to Jewish Insiders Podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, we uh, could not have a more timely guest this week uh, as we talk about anti-Semitism surging in this country. It does feel like it's a daily basis at this point where something crazy Is happening. Obviously, we had this reported day of hate uh, over the weekend. Uh, Thank goodness, uh, no reports that I've seen of any violence or major problems related to that. Everybody around the country, a lot of synagogues on high alert, communities, police departments responding in high gear to these reports from the dark web. Uh, But I mean we saw the video out of Orlando some crazy hecklers neo nazis the goyim defense league maybe these gdl people yelling at the rabbi and everybody coming in and out of Shoal,
1: uh, stuff in Vermont I mean it's I it's mean cra- you had you got a protest outside of a broadway show oh, yeah. in New York I mean oh, yeah. yes it's, and, it's and, crazy. and it is rich and it's and it's apolitical right So uh, I think uh, for our listeners uh, who come for me or come for you, um, you know, the the message here is that everybody it's you know, these are the moments when people need to stand up and be counted, whether you're a Jew, a Gentile or, you know, you you know, they uh, you need to people need to stand up and be counted and and repudiate this kind of hate. Otherwise, you know, it's a a, rapidly descending spiral that leads to really bad outcomes.
0: And we have support. In the non-Jewish community, we have Gentile Gentile groups, we have uh, Christian groups, we have other denominations and faiths who are who are standing with us, and we need to say thank you to them as well, uh, and and make sure that that everyone, all of our political leaders, are on record, no matter
1: who it is spewing this. It needs to be on the record. We're condemning it one hundred percent. And Rich, I would add that also comes with holding ourselves to account. Uh, you know, we had some disturbing news out of Israel this week in the last few days—a horrific attack on on two Israeli brothers who were killed, and then uh, what many have described as a pogrom. A characterization, which, by the way, I agree with. And it was uh, brought under control by the IDF, but not until after uh, a Palestinian was killed, cars were torched, homes were burned, uh, and... You know, I believe really firmly that that there is no excuse f- for any kind of violence. Um, there is no excuse, certainly, for the murder of two Israeli brothers by terrorists. And there's no excuse for settlers uh, in the name of, of, of some kind of distorted view of Zionism torching Palestinian homes. We, just, we, we, we shouldn't do that. And we need to stand up uh, from all sides of the spectrum to say that that's not okay.
0: I agree with that. There's there no, no justification for violence of that nature. Uh, and, and we should not be tolerant of it uh, or justify it. So let's separate the issues here. What happened with those Jewish uh, community members who went out and decided to be vigilantes and mob attackers... Uh, and take, you know, whatever they viewed in their own warped minds as justice in their own hands, uh, unacceptable, outrageous, needs to be condemned.
1: An environment politically in Israel that's allowing that can't be allowed. Well, yeah. And, and Rich, I want to let you finish your thought, but I, I want to come back to something the prime minister said when I, when I asked him what, what his policies were going to be going into a government with, with people on the far right. And he said something to the effect of, I'm still the prime minister. I'll be who I always have been. And I would just say that, you know, the world is watching uh, how the Israeli government is going to handle this attack uh, both of the attacks, actually, but but certainly watching how how Israel as a government and the Israeli – the current government is going to handle the prosecution of this mob attack. And certainly, they're going to handle – they're going to be watching. I, I agree, Jared. I agree. Yeah. Watch. Hold accountable. But
0: remember, yeah. the violence, the quote-unquote violence outbreak in the West Bank is not an outbreak. Right. It, right. it started – It's terrorism. It was starting under the last BB government. It started really going into high gear under Naftali Bennett's leadership. It continued under Lapide's leadership. And now it is finally at its tipping point under the new Israeli government. So let's not let's not throw a bunch of facts together as if they're related, th- that they're not. Anyways, let's get to All our right. guest yes, here yes, very yes. quickly. Uh, Jeffrey Rosen, previously served as acting attorney general and deputy attorney general of the United States, deputy secretary of transportation, general counsel, and senior policy advisor at the White House Office of Management and Budget. Spent three decades in the private sector at Kirkland and Ellis. He is a Harvard Law grad, a Northwestern University grad. Woohoo! Virginia oh. Governor Glenn Youngkin happened to be the chairman of the Commission to Combat Antisemitism. We are happy to have him on the pod today. Jeff, welcome to the podcast.
2: Uh, well, good morning. Glad to be here. And thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Tell us about the Anti-Semitism Commission in Virginia. How did it come about? How did you get tapped to, to lead it?
2: So this goes back to when uh, Governor Yunkin was elected on the first day in office, um, uh, January 15th of 2022. He issued a handful of executive orders, one of which established the commission to combat anti-Semitism and was explicitly designed to address what uh, he perceived as a growing problem that uh, both nationwide and in Virginia, the number of reported incidents of anti-Semitism had been at a record level. And so he created a commission uh, under executive order number eight uh, that was really a, a uh, a new or maybe a broader concept of anything, to my awareness, at least, that had been done before. And he just uh, called on the Commission to study anti-Semitism, propose actions to combat anti-Semitism, um, and to uh, compile materials and assistance for schools, law enforcement, and others, and to make recommendations both to him and to the General Assembly. So it's a very broad mandate. you know. Uh, my, my understanding, at least, is some other states have had Holocaust uh, educational type commissions, and and uh, I think Texas had one that was a little broader. But the uh, governor wanted a um, um, across the board look at anti-Semitism, what could be done with it, and so uh, shortly after the executive order, I think it was in February of of uh, last year announced that they were looking for candidates for the Commission that would have 15 members. And they had identified uh, through the governor's staff, uh, but I think the governor's directive was uh, to have of the 15 members, at least five should be uh, uh, Jewish people, at least two people of other faiths, at least one who was a, a director of a Holocaust Museum, or associate with the Holocaust Museum, I should say, three experts in in anti-Semitism and fighting radicalism and extremist ideologies. And then I think there were three spots reserved for, you know, um, addition to any of those categories. And uh, uh, so the actual members were announced, I think it was May 6th of last year, uh, a, a large group with also geographic diversity and, and some ethnic diversity uh, from around the state. and. Uh, uh, I guess the answer to answer the last part of your question, uh, th- the governor had contacted me and asked me if I would chair the commission, uh, which I agreed to do. So that's how I became the chair.
1: And and uh, Jeff. I'm getting ready. It's my favorite holiday of the year, Passover. It's uh, it's spring. It it it's a timeless story. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you the Passover question about this commission. Manish Tana Halayla Hazeh. Why is this commission different than all other commissions? And what do you hope uh, in terms of the impact that its report and its conclusions will have on anti-Semitism and combating anti-Semitism going forward?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question because. By definition, you know, all commissions have certain commonalities, right, that they're focused on the same problem. Uh, If they're if they're an anti-Semitism focused commission, they're focused on the same problem. So by definition, there's certain uh, connectivity uh, or or overlap between them. I think what was uh, different on this one is, as I was alluding to, was its mandate was both broader than than at least most. I'm not. I haven't done a comprehensive survey of all the commissions and study groups they've ever been, but it had a, a very broad mandate to cover uh, education, law enforcement, legislative options, uh, uh, data reporting. So it was it was very broad. The membership was was intentionally uh, gathered to be able to cover a wide spectrum. And so the, the commission held Eight public meetings as a as a as a body also had some subcommittees that uh, had had meetings and I know we'll get to the reports, but the the meetings themselves were both discussions, uh, but had outside um, uh, experts and, and speakers. At the very first meeting we had Elon Carr. Uh, actually, had had the governor at the very first meeting as well, and the and the state attorney general and the state uh, education secretary and the state uh, public safety commissioner. So we had, we had a bunch of state officials, but we had Elon Carr, who had been previously the state department's uh, special envoy for combating anti-Semitism, and a little bit of an effort there to both learn from his experiences, you know, maybe not reinvent the wheel and see what we could uh, gather from that, but. Uh, so it was a very public process. The later phases focused on what's to be done about it. What are the recommendations? Many, if not most, which came from the subcommittees and then discussed uh, among the, the full commission. And so we came up with, um, you know, both an overview of the problem, uh, you know, heavily drawing on work that others had done. There's, there's many, uh, as as you know well, uh, Jewish organizations. The that uh, focus on incident reporting and and um, uh, you know identification and prevention of anti-Semitic incidents. So we drew on a lot of that. And uh, on December fifth, uh, released the commission's report, which is twenty-five pages plus some appendices. And you know, roughly half of it is the overview of the problem, but half of it his recommendations that fell in uh, 21 categories. So again, to, to answer your question more succinctly, I guess, we hope that these recommendations being more both more comprehensive and growing out of the process that they did can be acted upon to make a difference in Virginia, that it's, it's not just uh, talk about here's the problem. There's There's been a lot of that, and some of that's necessary and important, but, but trying to identify some actual solutions, uh, both for Virginia and, you know, the, the problem isn't limited to Virginia, obviously, so perhaps they can be helpful uh, elsewhere as well.
0: And maybe just um, touch on those specifically now as we go deeper into the actual recommendations, of the report. Let, let's say you're in the elevator and, and this is the elevator pitch to a policymaker, whether it's the governor, whether it's the speaker, the, the head of the state police, you know, whoever it is, whether it's in Virginia or another state or. Um, you know, what is succinctly the problem you have identified, the gaps you've identified that states can actually fill through policy and what should those
2: policies be? Yeah. So let's let's start with uh, the scope of the problem, because there's lots of talk. Oh, anti-Semitism is a problem. Yeah, yes, true. And lots of effort to call attention uh, to it and occasionally uh the incidents, although I think we should talk about some incidents later. Uh, But at least from the the commission report, I would identify five aspects of the anti-Semitism problem that uh, need to be well understood. One of course is the sheer volume, the the fact that the number of reported incidents has been increasing for about a decade now and was an all-time high last year. That one I think has got some attention. But then there's four other aspects that I think are not uh, sufficiently appreciated. One is that many of the incidents are occurring at schools and colleges, especially colleges, and I think that that ought to appall people. But also it surprises them sometimes that this would be going on in, in higher education, where we think of people being educated and and uh, enlightened, let's say, and yet. Uh, big increases and the the ADL has called attention to that. Uh, We can talk some more about that. So that's a a, a second dimension. A third is public visibility. Sometimes anti-Semitism has been thought of as a a problem at the fringes, and it is, you know, with fringe and marginal uh, uh, um, uh, extremists, but we increasingly see it prominent athletes Prominent celebrities, musicians, and and others, politicians, even in some cases, civil rights activists or campus administrators, and so the 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 way in which anti semitism is seeped into what I call ordinary public domain is is very troubling. A fourth dimension is uh, what I would call uh, some public ignorance about. The problem, the anti-Semitism, or just some basic history. I saw one survey. This is especially a problem, I think, among younger people. But one survey that said two thirds of gener- Generation Z had not heard of the Holocaust, and a quarter who had heard of it thought it was either a myth or exaggerated. You know, th- think about that: uh, that the Holocaust is a myth or exaggerated. That is going to contribute. To some receptivity to this this public uh, poison that that's increasingly seeped into the you know the public domain. Then the fifth thing that that the commission report uh, highlights, I think, is the, the scope of of violence. I, most anti-Semitic incidents, and if I can put this as you know, um, they're bad, but at least when they're um, uh, on the smaller end of the scale, their, their um, um, verbal abuse, their intimidation, harassment, those are all bad. But when they turn to violence, it's really a problem. And, and uh, I, I think the numbers last year were uh, 88 assaults. Um, that's, that's a problem. And we know some of the violence in recent years, you know, have been shootings at synagogues in the Tree of Life in Pittsburgh and the Poe Synagogue in California, um, that there have been intercepted and broken up efforts to to bomb synagogues in Indiana and Colorado. That's, you know, a, a level of concern that's on a whole different scale. And it can be sometimes missed that, you know, if uh, um, Kanye West is is uh, making uh, verbal uh, comments that are highly problematic. That's really bad. But if that creates an environment that's tolerant of violence, that's much, much worse.
1: Yeah. And Jeff, if I could follow up there, you know, you you touched on it, but I really want to, you know, zero in on it on this normalization mm-hmm. of anti-semitic speech from the from the far left i guess you would call it and the far right um you know uh in in, in your own state of virginia charlottesville mm-hmm. you know good good people on both sides of 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 a, of a truly horrific incident what have leaders and we don't sort of need to get into like pointing at, at who they are you mentioned kanye but there are certainly lots of people with with uh unclean hands here what what have leaders or or people in popular culture done to normalize this kind of speech and what can we do about it
2: so, you know, so some of it i suspect comes out of the problem of ignorance that i was alluding to that there's a, there's a, a a growing kind of of ignorance and so some things can be Improved by educational responses. Other things are, are uh, you know, bad intent, and that, that's even worse. So uh, I agree with you that that the part of the problem is that this isn't just at the fringes of the extreme left or extreme right, the neo Nazis and the you know nation of Islam and uh, you know various other uh, uh, people at the fringe. It's when athletes and celebrities and politicians uh, are saying these things, and I think part of, of that is it needs a prompt and and vocal response. So maybe that's a good segue to the the recommendations of the commission because some some of them are educational responses, some are law enforcement responses, and some are legal and legislative responses.
0: <laughs> I would love to get into those because y- you talk about the ignorance yeah. factor for for a lot of this and the stats you had on on holocaust awareness at this point point. and I, I remember the, that survey coming out. I was shocked by it. it but I also, you know, I, I worked for a governor. I worked on the holocaust education issues in a state in a state that had a mandate like many states do to teach this in schools. Clearly we're failing. Clearly, these mandates are, are worth nothing more than the paper they're printed on. So, I, I you know, I, I want to hear what the action items are across the board. But, you know, as you talk about the education piece, I'd love to understand more about what's going wrong there right now.
2: Yeah. So I, I want to about the recommendations, but just specifically on like the Holocaust education. I think that's a good and necessary thing, but it can be uh, undermined. In execution by who are who's teaching? So one of one of the uh, incidents that I, I saw uh, in the last week that was just shocking was uh, out in uh, northern California. I think it was in East Bay. Uh, high school had a requirement for teaching about the Holocaust, and there was a an assigned section of I care if it's an English or history class to read uh, Elie Wiesel's Night. So uh, a teacher. Uh, assigned to teach that. Uh, The students have the book, but he has a handout at the class called, a pamphlet called The Hidden Tyranny. And it's about how the Jews have a conspiracy to take over the world and impose satanic ideals. And he tells the students that he's going to remove the blinders and show them that what, what the required reading is just propaganda. So this, you know, this episode came out about a week ago, and uh, uh, you know, parents are complaining to the school and the like, and we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But to, to get to your point, if if we have a uh, an educational requirement, but the but the teacher decides to subvert it with. A anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. That's that's not going to be a very effective mandate, and I'm laughing because it's just so absurd. It's so un- unbelievable that that could happen, but it but it apparently did, or at least uh, there are reports that it did. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. But on the um, On the Commission's recommendations, they kind of fell in four categories. So I I, I want to talk about the educational ones, but there's there's kind of a predecessor in a sense that. um, uh, The first three recommendations of the Commission were really about defining anti-Semitism and being able to uh, assess or or, uh, measure it in some sense. So they were recommendations about adopting the uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Association definition of anti-Semitism and then using it for both uh, police reporting of incidents which should primarily be hate crimes, but also for agencies and, and educational institutions to report incidents and either, either of discrimination or of uh, problems in, in schools. and. So one of the challenges in the educational system is that the reporting requirements uh, are unusually uh, scarce in schools, right? There's, there is more on police. Uh, it's not as good as it should be. It's not as, as standardized. It's not as, as comprehensive. But in schools, there's actually uh, a lack of systemic and in part, I, I suspect because people didn't always perceive it as as the problem that it now appears to be so, you know, on the educational side, one of the recommendations is use the uh, IRA definition for incident reporting of anti-Semitic incidents in schools. Maybe start there. Uh, I can talk about some of the others uh, as well, but I don't want to monopolize. And Ira for our,
0: for our for our listeners, Ira, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance uh, working definition, yes, uh, of anti-Semitism.
2: Yes, um, and and by the way, it's worth saying something about that um, Ira definition. The State Department's been using that as as you you guys are. Uh, aware since about 2010 before it was the uh, IRA definition sort of it, it changed a little bit but the united states is a member of the ihra and it was in 2016 that the uh uh ihra uh, developed its working definition of anti-semitism in a formal way And the united states uh, voted to support that and the state department has has used it ever since so it's it's a pretty standard um definition at this point, although not ubiquitous. So- Jeff, let me ask
1: you this. So Virginia has a notoriously short legislative session, right? Uh, yeah. And so there's a lot of people, a lot of interests trying to get a lot of things done in a short period of time. What do you think the chances are, or what has been the progress made towards enacting any of the recommendations of the commission?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that because there were, uh, there were three bills introduced in the general assembly of Virginia. I sent a letter to the entire General Assembly attaching the Commission's report, uh, but calling out that these three bills uh, were pending. And uh, one of them, the one that would uh, use the IRA definition of, of anti-Semitism, uh, was uh, enacted last week. Uh, that was, uh, uh, for, for listeners who care about the details, that was House Bill 1606. and it was adopted in a, a overwhelmingly bipartisan manner i think i think the vote was uh, i think it was unanimous in the senate and something like uh, 85 to 5 or something like that in the in the house so so the prospects for that one are pretty good that <laughs> has been passed there was a second one that dealt with clarifying that in discrimination laws of different types, the Human Rights Act and some other uh, laws to clarify that they cover Jews, because there's been some semantic ambiguities uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with as as to Jews are a religion, an ethnicity, potentially a national identity. There becomes some some confusion on, on, on some of the categories in civil rights laws as to where did Jews fit. So there was uh, bills to uh, clarify that what, regardless of which category, the Jews, Jews are covered. And uh, a version of that has passed the Virginia House and a version has passed the Senate, but they weren't identical, so they have to be uh, conferenced. Uh, and I'm pretty hopeful on that, but I don't know the outcome. Um, the third one, to me, maybe illustrates the importance of some of these, um, what I'll call public education kind of issues. It was a, a law that would prevent state contractors from participating in in a BDS, in boycotts uh, directed at the Jewish state. And Virginia had adopted a resolution in 2016 uh, condemning uh, BDS. Uh, Overwhelmingly, uh, again, I think it was like unanimous in one house and 85 to 5, something like that, in the other in 2016. And maybe it was uh, taken too, uh, too lightly, or I'm not exactly sure what happened, uh, because there are anti-BDS laws in you know what you would call both red and blue states. Uh, but uh, that got tabled in the Virginia legislature this year, so we will have to, uh, come back next year. Uh, but the, but I would say in general, the the fact that two of the three appear to be in, uh, pretty good spots, uh, was encouraging. And the other thing that I'd say is encouraging is one of the recommendations of the commission was for the state attorney general to create a task force directed at, uh, semitism and, and, uh, both monitoring and, and where appropriate bringing, uh, Cases uh, in, involving anti-Semitic uh, activities, and the uh, Virginia Attorney General Meares uh, has done that. He announced the creation of a, a task force within his office to do that. So, some initial steps on the on the recommendations that have been made, and you know, every journey starts with the first step.
0: Uh, very encouraging. And obviously, with the big news out of the Supreme Court uh, since our last episode, uh, you mentioned the uh, anti-BDS law and contracting uh, that was proposed, uh, obviously, a Supreme Court denying cert on a petition uh, from uh, Arkansas Times, uh, in that case, challenging Arkansas's uh, contracting statute. We now have all the appellate courts sort at this point unanimously supporting the constitutionality of these laws, Supreme Court not even bothering to take it even though it was probably pretty tempting uh, on free speech uh, just to look at it. Uh, so uh, hopefully uh, we'll see Virginia uh, take that back up in the future. Uh, I do want because to touch you, on this so, issue, though. Hey, go before ahead, yeah.
2: you go on, can I just mention something? I think one thing that's got lost, in a, and particularly in some of the press coverage of this, because that case you just referenced was Arkansas, and um, uh, that this is not a, like a right-left or a, or a Democrat-Republican thing. Um, I think there are sometimes people who want to make it such, but it's really not. You know, Texas and Florida uh, have anti-BDS laws, but so does California and Illinois and and Minnesota and Rhode Island and uh, uh, New York. It's not by a law, it's by an executive order, but it's been in effect for a long time. And You know, the current governor hasn't changed it from the previous governor. So New York, California, Illinois, Texas, Florida. This is this is really something that, um, uh, you know, at least historically and for a long time has and and ought to have support uh, as as a measure to. negate anti-Semitic attitudes and, and actions regardless of left, right or center.
0: That's exactly right. Obviously, the impetus for this uh, starts on the federal level with the 1970s uh, anti-boycott regime adopted by Congress, bipartisan, strong support still, constitutional uh, states deciding how they want to spend their money as well uh, and saying we won't support this. So uh, absolutely. I I would say on the IRA piece, very interesting. Obviously, um, a related issue in the controversy of of groups uh, that that come and, and try to oppose These proposals claiming it somehow infringes on speech, uh, not on actions, not on behavior. Um, I'm curious how you dealt with those questions, um, how you make that distinction. And I want to use that as a bridge, if we could to the larger problem here of how we combat anti-Semitism and some of these hate groups domestically, because as we've talked about in the past, uh, there is no foreign terrorist organization list, you know, for some of these groups domestically. We don't have the same sorts of authorities because these are U.S. citizens. They have rights. They have civil liberties as well. And so I, I am curious how you, as a former top DOJ official, look at how we can use law enforcement tools to monitor the to the extent legal constitutional pushback hold accountable how do you go after a group like the Goyim Defense League that's that's pamphleting you know different communities and protesting and and we saw horrible videos out of Orlando just just a week ago in front of a Chabad uh, how do we use our tools whether it's a state or federal level without infringing uh, on free speech there
2: OK, so uh, let's take that in two parts, the, the uh, dealing with the, uh, the critics of the IRA definition and then um, dealing with the uh, somewhat extremist uh, organizational type uh, groups and their behavior. So uh, on the IRA definition that actually did come up at the commission because we allowed at the public meetings uh, uh, some public comments. And there were, uh, I think, two people who, who regularly attended and, and would uh, speak and raised the concerns that, that you just alluded to, that uh, they, they would claim that the higher definition would, would suppress free speech. And that's clearly wrong because all it's doing is defining what, what speech should be deemed uh, Anti-Semitic, and the Ira definition itself um, acknowledges that criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic by itself. It, it can be, in in certain context, as in uh, double standards. Let's say demonizing Israel for actions that other countries do, and and saying that Israel is, is it. But mere criticism of Israel is is not uh, deemed anti-Semitic. Even things that are anti-Semitic are not suppressed. The IRA definition doesn't say, uh, and and the laws that use it don't say, uh, you go to jail if you if you say something anti-Semitic. It just identifies it uh, in a way that other people will say appropriately. We don't approve of that. We condemn that. What you've said is is bigoted or hateful or wrong. So I think we've. Uh, in in numerous contexts, been able to explain that the IRA definition is in no way infringing or meant to infringe on on anyone's First Amendment rights. There is an important balance in that that um, bad thoughts are not a crime in the United States. Right that that we all have First Amendment freedom of conscience and f- and free speech, and sometimes that means people can think and say things that that are. Uh, um, not welcome, or are are very inappropriate, uh, and so there's a balance there. What what what's to be done with those things is to repudiate them, is to call call them out and disagree with them. It's, it's the the uh, old adage is the the solution to bad speech, is more speech, is is better speech, is is uh, win the battle of ideas. So then, then going to your question about the the uh, law enforcement side of this because for example we know some of those leaflets uh, come from a group calling itself the Goyem Defense League and there you know there are others who uh, um, uh, you know put out this kind of poison and it's it's uh, it's really bad so what's what's to be done about it from a, a, a law enforcement standpoint and uh, in that regard, I think I think again there there's a difference between international um, terrorist kind of groups who are are uh, more readily monitored, surveilled. It's more more like reconnaissance of an enemy state, let's say. Domestically, people do have have certain rights under our constitution. So the uh, the saying that uh, is regularly and correctly pointed out is the Justice Department investigates crimes, not people. Right? We don't. We don't have, nor I would argue, nor do we want, a society where the the uh, uh, prosecutors and the law enforcement tools of the state are used to target people and then find some some crime with which to to pursue them. It's it's the other way. There has to be some indication of wrongdoing uh, that is potentially a violation of, of laws, and so um, that means that the 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 uh, tools of law enforcement have to have some rules of the road that take that balance into account. On the one hand, trying to prevent actual crimes uh, or redress crimes if they've occurred but on the other hand, not just targeting people. Um, don't know if, if, well, you're probably familiar, I don't know if all the listeners are familiar with the old um, uh, church and Pike committees in the 1970s uh, where Congress set up these, these uh, committees because they had indications that both the FBI and the CIA had surveilled, monitored, and investigated people more based on, their identity or their membership in groups than actual wrongdoing activity. And most of that was focused on on groups from the left. Uh, It it included uh, monitoring of civil rights groups, sometimes critics or opponents of of uh, President Johnson, who had them uh, monitor Robert Kennedy for a while, and there was surveillance of Martin Luther King. So we've seen that and we I think there's a large consensus that we don't want our law enforcement just focused and uh, we're having the ability to focus on uh, groups that are deemed problematic in some way, because uh, history tells us, not just in the United States, but all around the globe, uh, that that using the powers of the state in a targeted way at, at groups you know, can have some unwelcome consequences. Um, but that doesn't mean that these groups, these groups particularly the extremist groups that are uh, have uh, violent intentions um, can't be policed it just means there's some rules of the road for that that's a somewhat complicated topic maybe maybe more nuanced than we, we have time for today. But I, I think illustrating the importance of getting the balance at both DHS and, and DOJ is, is part of why it's not as simple as it might be in the international realm.
1: Jeff, you've had a storied and long and distinguished career in Washington, uh, general counsel at DOT, deputy secretary, at DOT deputy attorney general. And at the end of the Trump administration, you found yourself as the acting attorney general. Um, I'm a big fan of Tom Clancy movies and Tom Clancy books. And, and at the end of uh, uh, clear and present danger, there's a scene where Jack Ryan is in the Oval Office and, and the president tells him to do something that, that Ryan thinks is, uh, not morally correct. And there's an exchange. It's, it's a, one of Harrison Ford, it's better moments on film. Uh, and you found yourself in a in a uh, a situation where you you know regardless of party, regardless of politics, you were put in a position where you were the person standing up for the rule of law when others, uh, the former president. And others around him wanted you to really take the Justice Department, which is supposed to be apolitical, and turn it into a a instrument of partisan politics, uh, which would have been corrosive, I think, to our democracy. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, wh- you know what that felt like being in that room and 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 staring down, um, you know, a really really bad moment in American history.
2: Well, I, I, I appreciate the uh, the way you've put that. And you uh, and our, our, our readers can't was, our
1: listeners can't see it, but you look a little bit like Harrison Ford on on the video. <laughs> uh. That is not something I would be accused of, but I'll but I'll take the compliment.
2: <laughs> so uh, no, I I appreciate the way you put that. Um, and you know, I think what I would say is is the uh, my time when I was the acting attorney general wasn't. What I had expected, but I I knew and and felt fortunate to have the support of a great leadership team and and the support of the White House Counsel, and so I was uh, just very glad that the Department of Justice um, managed to do the things it was supposed to do, and to also that it did not do the things it's not supposed to do. And I think you know both are important parts of the equation, and and so. Uh, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. It wasn't the way I uh, expected, or you know, would have preferred. But um, department, you know, did what it was supposed to do and didn't do what it wasn't.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, as a, as a Democrat who, if we put our politics on paper, I would probably disagree more than I would agree. I'm very thankful that you were there. I'm very thankful for the people who you worked with because th- those are the moments where, you know, things could have gone in an entirely different direction. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll say it for, for the, for the tape or the digital recording, there are good and honorable people who believe different things than me. Uh, and, and so I'm thankful for you, that you were there in that, in that moment in history. Rich, do you have another substantive question, or can we get to the the lightning the lightning round? Okay,
0: no, 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 no. I have very okay. substantive okay. All right. questions. All right, so so ask
1: another substantive question I, one, I, and then have we got to go to the lightning yeah. round, Rich. Don't have to. I, I, well, I've, like I've to. I have, I have questions like about to. about law school, uh, Jeff, because you went you were in law school with a very distinguished class, but we can come back to that in a minute. Uh, Rich, why don't you go ahead with your substantive question? I, I I do want to touch
0: on, because I'm very curious, your views as a scholar and student of the law, someone who's held a very high position in, in our uh, judicial uh, law enforcement system, uh, somebody who observes Israel and its democracy closely as well. Uh, there's obviously a very robust Uh, public debate going on in Israel right now over their judicial reforms. Uh, A former attorney general in uh, the columns of the Wall Street Journal, uh, Mike Casey, even uh, with with an article just out uh, saying the reforms don't go far enough. uh, An unexpected headline. So uh, curious on your take uh, of what's going on there. Um, It's become a very toxic debate. Uh, A lot of unexpected characters uh, popping up. um, And you seem like a cool head who can who can help guide us here
2: so so for what it's worth i'll just you know tell you my 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 big picture perspective and then i'll offer you an observation so i'm just someone who tends to think that with regard to our key institutions things like our courts um that we really need to to harness and and generate more respect for them because we need them to be the bulwarks of, of of our democracy other countries do too that we 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 need institutions to work well and accept that there are times that all of us are going to disagree with an individual ruling with an action of the institution maybe it's an institution that's congress rather than a court whatever but um that if we want these things to be durable which i think we do um we need more respect for them and to some extent while everything can be improved, you know, we we should be looking for what I call self-improvement for the institutions to work on their own betterment. So that's kind of my big picture perspective, and I'd say that both about our institutions and about those in Israel and and other democracies. Uh, So so when I look at this debate about the Supreme Court that exists to some extent in our own country and then a different kind of debate about reforms of the courts in Israel. As I say, I start with myself with just the view that both places, having respect for the institutions is both a healthy and necessary piece of how the systems have to function. But I, I, I look with some, I don't know, a little bit of dismay in a big picture way at how both the left and the right, in our country at least, have some inconsistency about how they're approaching this. Uh, with regard to the left, there there are at least some folks I don't mean to paint with too broad a brush. there's exceptions, but some folks on the, uh, who say that the. US Supreme Court has has issued some uh, uh, rulings that they they disapprove of, and they think the court needs some reform. And then conversely, although they favor reform of, of in the United States Supreme Court, they say if the Israelis do it, that's a, a big detriment and undermines democracy, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. So there's, there's at least at a high level an inconsistency there. But then the, some folks, at least on the right, again, don't mean to paint with too broad a brush, but some folks on the right, who are the other way? They say the U.S. Supreme Court, um, it, it's uh, constitutionally established as it is, and it has uh, uh, long, long traditions as to having nine justices and the like. Uh, it should be untouchable. But over in Israel, their Supreme Court should be significantly changed. And so there's kind of a, at, at a high level some inconsistency between uh, the positions about how the U.S. Supreme Court and the Israeli Supreme Court should be looked at in terms of making changes that produce inconsistencies among some, not all, but some on the left and some on the right. Now. I'll be the first to acknowledge that people can get deeply into the details of each and then then assess the merits. And when they do that, you know, um, I have the great respect for people who are of good faith really assessing the merits. But, but unfortunately, I'm not sure that's always what's going on. Sometimes it seems like the, the, the positions and some of the public dialogue on this are just based on U.S. politics and which team people are on. And I think that, is an unfortunate way to think about what's going on in both the Israeli Supreme Court and some of the uh, discontent or criticism of the US Supreme Court as well.
0: Jared, I am prepared okay. for lightning round. Okay. I am. that was a great answer. I he Can I Can I, I go first? I am... Or
1: you want to go first? Okay. So Jeff, go I ahead. want to know uh, in 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 a 90 seconds or less, what it like what it was like going to law school with Alberto Gonzalez? Deval Patrick and Jack Reed. Did you all know that that you all would be sort of shaping, you know, key parts of of the next half century of American justice? Uh, or you know, d- did you look at somebody and say, okay, that person, he's going to be governor? Uh, you know, I had this experience. I will tell you with um, the current governor Wes Moore of Maryland, who sat next to me in a five person seminar when I was a sophomore, and I looked at him and I said, that guy's going to be a governor or a president one day. Did you know then that these people? People would be, uh, you know, or or was it? They were just other people in, who were also one L's who were struggling to outline in brief cases. Were they just boofing? Yeah. Were they just boofing? As, so as, yeah.
2: so uh, you know, may, maybe I, I can offer this as a hopeful statement to young people in or getting out of law school today. That no, I could not back then. I uh, had the slightest idea over as to who would become a governor or a senator or, or anything like that. There were there were lots of uh, energetic, bright people around. As 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 there are, uh, you know, at 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 most law schools, and um, trying trying to guess how it would all turn out, <laughs> it uh, doesn't work that way. It's not written in the stars. It's it's uh, you you you, uh, you write your own chapters, and you get a little bit of luck. Fantastic, Rich, you go.
1: Jeff, do you have a favorite Yiddish word or phrase? And if you want to use profanity, this is the one part of our podcast where using profanity is okay, as long as it's in another language.
2: Wow. You've really stumped it could be me. He, it one. could be Hebrew if if
1: you have a Hebrew one that you like better than the Yiddish one.
2: Jeez, um, I don't know that I have a favorite. You know, uh, my uh, my grandparents used a bunch of them, but... Uh, oh, you've, you've thumped me on this one. If this is lightning, I better pass.
1: Uh, I think, Rich, I think the one that comes to mind is mensch, that that Jeff, you are a mensch uh, regardless of political party or administration, uh, and and we need more people of both parties to, to be more mensch-like uh, in, in, in governing this country.
0: Do you have a favorite yeah. Jewish
1: food, at least? Do we have a favorite what, what, Jewish food?
2: Yeah. Uh, Yes, but I have. But I have to say, if you're going to use Mitch, it, it seems to me it would apply oh. to you, gentlemen, as well. You and don't know so, us well enough. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, uh, you were kind enough oh. to have me on. That that puts okay. you in that category, uh, at least at least uh, uh, as a, as a, uh, um, a starting point. Okay. <laughs> so. All right, Rich. You, you, uh, what was it? on uh, favorite food? Jewish uh, food. Uh, Jewish uh, food. Um, favorite Jewish food. Uh, uh, oh boy. Um. um Having a having a have a picture, and I'm having a brain cramp of um um oh uh blintzes,
0: blintzes. That's that's awesome. I think that might be Yiddish too, because uh, I it just sounds like it's Yiddish. yeah. I mean, I've never actually yeah blintzes. Blintz, I imagine and blintzes is like Yiddish. More
2: Ashkenazi. Yiddish word. Safari. And I'm and I'm partial yeah. to cheese blintzes as opposed to potato blintzes.
1: I strongly support that. I strongly support that. (laughs) All right. Uh, Jeff, last one. Favorite Israeli president? Go.
2: Oh, my. Presidents, not prime ministers.
1: I, I'll give you presidents or prime ministers, actually, if you have a favorite one or the other. Although I always think the office of president of Israel is really fascinating because it's usually an elder states person who who can kind of like referee. And, and we see that going on right now.
0: I think people can probably name like three in history. I think if you were to actually ask That's anybody, it. I think they'd
1: Weisman, like, Weisman.
0: Perez and now Herzog, just because of the moment. Can you name another?
2: Uh, Exactly. It's a challenge. You can
0: can do Prime Minister, Jeff. You can do Prime Minister. It's like if
2: you see a list of them, you might be able to refresh and say, "Oh, that's that's a good one" or whatever. But calling them out, wow, that's tough. Prime Minister, you know, I'm always just partial to uh, to founders. After what I was saying before about thinking how important institutions are, the builders. So, so Ben Gurion. You know, it's the the first prime minister, uh, you know, I have great admiration for for a a number of them. Um, But I think you you start at the beginning. It's it's, uh, you know, George Washington, uh, first president uh, never loses its luster and kind of feel with Ben Gurion, obviously uh, uh, a great man, not a person without flaws, cause we don't have any such persons, but uh, first prime minister is most uh, remarkable and important.
0: Jeff Rosen, thanks so much for joining Jewish Insiders podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. It was great talking with you both. If you like the show, help us get the
1: word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next
0: time, this is Jewish Insider's podcast. Thanks for listening.